Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to share with us either through YouTube viewing us or through iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon Prime Music viewing us. Uh, we're grateful for you taking the time to share with us in the Thrive Podcast today. As I said the last time we were together, we're trying to get back on course. The pandemic uh, had knocked us out of doing uh, weekly interviews as we uh, have historically done, but we're glad to be able to get back uh, to somewhat of a regular routine of these interviews. And as a part of that, uh, I do want to remind you that we are open to suggestion and uh, comment about the podcast. You can reach me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net. Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. Let us know how we're doing with the Thrive Podcast and how uh, we might be able to do better. I'm very happy today to welcome uh, as a guest of our podcast, Mr. Eric B. Lewis, uh, who is currently a candidate for our uh, East Baton Rouge Parish Metro Council District 1. Mr. Lewis, thank you for taking the time to come and share with us today. Thank you for allowing me to uh, share some time with you. I really appreciate it. Tell us who is Eric Lewis. I know a lot about you primarily uh, through the work that you did uh, with Apex Collegiate Academy uh, and uh, the school that uh, you, you had established. But tell us, what's the background of Eric Lewis? So I'm originally from Baton Rouge. Um, I grew up in the Glen Oaks community, um, attended high school there, I graduated from Southern University in Electrical Engineering. Um, after graduation, I moved to Dallas, Texas, uh, worked for Texas Instruments uh, for about four years, and then relocated to North Louisiana or Central Louisiana and Alexandria, um, and all, all you know within my professional career. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually had the opportunity um, to relocate back to Baton Rouge. And I guess, you know, and so as an adult, you know, that's my first time actually living in the city as an adult and mm-hmm. immediately got involved in the community. Um, obviously, my church. Um, so I was, I was, you know, I'm a deacon at my church, Sunday school superintendent, taught Sunday school, uh, but also got involved outside the church in organizations like Forum 35. Um, was one of the co-founders of the Baton Rouge Black Regional Black Chamber of Commerce. Um, was active in NAACP, um, just a number of different things in the community, mm-hmm. all all centered around this idea that I wanted to reverse the trend of why I actually left to begin with. Um, and so I left, um, I wasn't necessarily a social person, uh, but I left for a job opportunity. But the reality is that, you know, comparing my experience in Dallas to uh, what was going on in Baton Rouge, and this is about 20 years ago, mm-hmm. is vastly different. And so there's a lot of opportunities. Um, uh, professionally, a lot of things for young families to do in the community and things like that. And so working with those organizations that I've mentioned, um, you know, it was just a push to kind of create the type of wholesome community um, and a quality of life for young people that would attract people here and retain people. And so I continue to do that work. You mentioned, you know, Apex Collegiate Academy. Uh, sometime prior to that, I began getting involved in uh, educational advocacy. Had a time, just had an opportunity to sit down with your father mm-hmm. uh, when I was doing some of that work. And then that actually led me to this opportunity to, to launch a charter school, um, honestly, for black children in North Baton Rouge. Um, that didn't end the way that we wanted it to, but you know what p- people may not realize is even though I don't run a school anymore, I continue to do that same work mm-hmm. um, because at the end of the day, um, I feel like our children need uplifting, they need access, and they need opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something I'll continue to do regardless of the title that I hold. You mentioned you left Baton Rouge because of a job opportunity. Uh, one of the things that I lament regularly uh, both on this podcast and uh, outside of, of of this form of, of media is the brain drain that yes, seems sir. to be taking place, uh, especially with African-Americans uh, with regard to Baton Rouge. Uh, we raise them, we educate them, and then they have to go someplace else to find jobs. Houston, Dallas, 
Cincinnati, uh, Atlanta, Nashville uh, seem to get the cream of our crop. As one who left and came back, could you go into a little bit more detail about how stark the contrast was yeah. in coming home from where you were in Dallas? Well, one of the things, as I go into that, one of the things always been puzzling to me is that, you know, for years you would see spring graduations at Southern and, and here's talking about they couldn't find jobs here. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, within our community, business community, like we're constantly hearing that we don't have talent. And so there, there's something that's not adding up there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll just, you know, kind of go through again, you know, to your point, and I'll even take it, make it current. So about six months, actually before, prior to the pandemic, uh, my son and I went to Dallas. And again, that's been almost 20 years. Um, but it's just Dallas 20 years ago versus today is even drastically different. And so I think part, part of it is this idea that we want to include young people in the development of the city and the mm -hmm. transition and transformation of the city. Um, we talk a lot about progressivism, um, but I, th I think it's more than just a social idea. Like, you know, we have traditions in Baton Rouge that we hold strong to, um, some that are good, some that are not. And so we have to be open to different people coming in and being a part of a conversation. Um, and I'll be honest, like if I look at our city government now, you know, how many folks that have been held over from multiple administrations. Um, whereas again, we have people that have worked in, you know, entry level positions that have been since left the city, mm -hmm. again, moved on to other opportunities or moved out of the city. And so I just, I, I feel like part of our stranglehold and our, our limit, limited opportunities for growth um, is we continue to seem to have an inner circle of folks that run things around this community. Um, and I don't, like at this point, it, it's, it's come beyond a race issue, uh, but we have to be open to listening to new ideas and hearing, hearing different perspectives and hearing from different people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one thing that I think that I've seen both in Dallas where I live and in other major cities where I've traveled um, is there's a diversity of thought. Um, multiple people have the opportunity to infuse change in their communities. Um, and so we have to understand that it's not just elected officials that have the answers. Um, it's not just prescribed leadership that have the answers. You know, we have talented people in our community mm -hmm. that have solutions um, that we need to be listening to and hearing to. And I think that's probably the biggest difference that I've seen in my experience. Tell me about District 1. Uh, it is currently held by uh, Trey Welch, uh, who is term limited and is leaving uh, the Metro Council. Give me the geographic boundaries of Yes, sir. One. So if we go to the Paris line all the way up to East Feliciana, we start there and then uh, we come down 61 uh, where the old uh, Jetson Correctional Center was. Right. Um, so that's kind of the boundary on the scenic highway side. Uh, down Highway 19, you go all the way down to Becker Boulevard. Mm -hmm. and if you swerve within there, um, it actually goes down as far as Groom Road in Baker. Okay. Excluding like the downtown portion of Baker. Um, go all the way across Groom Road, across Plank Road. Um, I think that's Bob Pettit, mm -hmm. um, and then it weaves over um, to Central at like Dyer Road, and then um, you come back up Blackwater, um, and then the Greenwood Springs Pride Road, 64, Highway 64. You take that all the way to Greenwood Springs, um, and so all of that Cheneyville Pride um, is a part of it as well. It's huge geographically. Yes, sir. Massive. Uh, and it's growing population-wise. Uh, you, you you take in. Almost all of Zachary. All, all am of I Zachary. correct to that? All of you Zachary. have all of Zachary. You have portions of Baker, and you have portions of Central. Portions of Central, and then, like I said, all of the unincorporated areas of Pride and Cheneyville, right? And unincorporated Port Hudson. So, from your perspective as a candidate uh, for Metro Council, what do you see as the distinctive need? of District 1 as opposed to, say, District 10, which is where we are now? Yes, sir. So that's actually an interesting question because I think oftentimes, and if you talk to leadership, leaders in Zachary, and it will, you know, if you focus on Zachary, if you talk to leaders in Zachary, um, there's this, 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 this conflict in that we feel isolated, or not, when I say we, I'm saying leadership in Zachary feels isolated from the rest of the parish. Right. And so when we talk about resources such as drainage and things, roads and things of that nature, there's this feeling, you know, 
there was the issue recently with Breck. Um, and so there's this feeling that, you know, again, resources are, are, are isolated um, and not equitably dispersed in the northern part of the parish. Mm-hmm. Um, but out, you also have, which, you know, you will get leadership in Zachary to admit that folks in Baton Rouge think that Zachary is this wealthy, elite community and doesn't necessarily need these resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, here's the reality. I think that, and so it's, it's a valid question, but I think the reality is what I found in talking to folks is that a lot of the issues and challenges that folks in the in District 10 have, folks in, in, in the northern part of the parish had those same issues and challenges. Um, you know, people were hyperventilating and feeling anxiety this past week because of the hurricane, mm-hmm. because we have a lack of maintenance going on with ditches, canals, bayous, and whatnot in the area. Um, grass cutting. Um, we got two bridges, at least two bridges. Um, one's been out for a year. One's been out for five years. That's diverting track of traffic and causing concerns. Um, public safety is an issue and a concern. Educational attainment. And you, you probably look at me and you're like, wait a minute. I thought you had the number one school district in the state. All right. But well, now, the- you don't want my opinion <laughs> of, uh, uh, about that. Uh, I don't count three schools as a district, to be totally honest with you. But, but, but it, I, I wasn't going to bring that up. But, 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 but here's, did. here's the reality. If we, were, if we go back to the school that I started, I had a number of kids at our school mm-hmm. that lived in Zachary. Mm-hmm. And so I think as a community, like, we have, to, we have to talk through that. You know, and so there are kids that live in Zachary that don't go to school in Zachary mm-hmm. um, for a number of different reasons. But again, and so when we talk about educational attainment and providing the quality education for all children in our community i think that's a conversation that we have to have in district one as well mm-hmm. um and so we have five pillars in our campaign again which i believe everybody in the community can relate to um so being youth development educational attainment infrastructure and drainage economic development and public safety mm-hmm. um but i think i think the the larger issue is for me um is i think that we have to have someone representing district one who understands that like we can talk all we want about having a number one school district and and people flocking up there uh, because of the schools but if we don't have quality of life in district one mm-hmm. and people are still you know coming into Baton Rouge for all the services that they mm-hmm. need so my point has always been that you know district one district 10 like we're all in this together mm-hmm. and so if something is in- adversely impacting district one I mean district 10 then I care about it because again, I, I shop, I eat, um, I may go to church. My kid, my I have a child that lives in District Ten, you know. So um, I think one of the challenges that we have to do going into this next Metro Council administration is we have to do a better job of collaboration, uh, a better job of working together and finding common issues that impact us all mm-hmm. um, in order for our community to move forward. Erica Green was here the other day. Great interview. And I saw. Uh, Great interview. Uh, we. Uh, talked about uh, the various needs that exist within districts uh, and and one of the things that we talked about uh, had to do with uh, the racial composition of the Metro Council yes sir and the political composition of the Metro Council uh, as it currently exists and it's about to change I know we're voting in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's seven five Republican Democrat seven five white black and I asked her and I'm, I'm curious as to what your answer is is the racial composition uh, the majority uh, the, the the primary issue or is the political uh, uh, philosophy the primary driving issue for the tribalism that seems to exist uh, within the Metro Council is it is it because the seven Republicans are white and the five Democrats are black, or is it because there are seven Republicans and five Democrats? So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I know what 75% of the council members, like I, I've known and I've known for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, but I also like that question also like always concerns me and it's a valid question, but it concerns me because I think, you know, too often here lately, um, people deem Republicans to have ownership on conservatism, mm-hmm. right? Um, I grew up, I mean, I'm a registered Democrat, <laughs> going to church all my life. Um, 
But I think that if people knew my family and my upbringing, they would call us conservatives. And I dare not say several of those other black people that are on the council mm-hmm. um, in many ways would be conservative mm-hmm. as well. And so I just I feel like we have to be careful about that. I do think but I, I think it's both issues. Um, because I'll, I'll also say that, you know, Trey Welsh, as an example, like when he ran the first time and won, he run, won as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known Trey for quite a while, know his family, you know, and I, I can attest to several people. And I'm sure Trey, Trey, Trey can, t- too, that he's grown up and that he's friends with that are black and Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think at the end of the day, um, we need principal leadership. And we need to do what's right because it's right, not because we're Democrat or Republican or not because we're black or white. Um, and I think too often, like, that's what we're missing is, like, true, legitimate, principled leadership. Um, and so the, I guess the most recent, you might have another one, uh, but the example that I, I tend to throw out is the ruling on the Antle, Alton Sterling case. Yes. Okay, so... You know, people have thrown out like all the things about his past or whatnot, um, and it's become a racial issue. But at the same time, like we can say that we're conservative and we don't want to, you know, spend the people's money. But we look at all the people's money that we've been spending during this pandemic. Sure. All right. And so at the end of the day, um, I do think that people may cowtown um, and and do group think based on their race or their Democratic Party. Uh, but at the end of the day, my concern is that we need to have principal leadership on the council, and that's an example where I've not seen principal leadership from one side. So help me to understand, then. You, you, you mentioned that uh, Councilman Welch ran initially as a Democrat, won as a Democrat, yes, sir. came back and ran and won as a well, Republican. Actually, he's, ne- he's never actually had to run. As a Republican. He's never been contested as a Republican. Okay. All right. Uh, but but he did switch parties. He did switch parties, okay. yes, sir. I appreciate the clarification. Uh, one of your opponents uh, has been on the Metro Council in a different district, and he served as a Democrat. Yes, sir. And I was quite surprised doing a little research preparing for this interview uh, to find that he's currently uh, listed as a Republican. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you about the switching. I'm going yeah. to ask you from your perspective how do you distinguish between Republican and Democrat? Well, now that's I, that's that is one thing that I will say about the town of Zachary. Not not necessarily Metro District One, but the town of Zachary. Um, since I've lived there, I have seen that people don't tend to, you know, move in the corners based on parties. I mean, in fact, there are independents that are on the city council in Zachary, mm-hmm. um, and so I think. You know, I've I've voted. I mean, I'm, again, I'm a registered Democrat. Uh, I've voted for Democrats, Independents, and Republicans. Um, for me, I think what has happened to happened lately is that you know the the national parties are defining what's a Republican and a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I think, in my perspective, from my perspective, um, and the way that I grew up, Democrats were focused on making sure you know the least of these were served. Mm-hmm. Um, characterized by a high level of compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those are probably the two biggest things that I can recall growing up. Terrible things, right? <laughs> high, high level of compassion and, and concerned about the least. That That's, that's quite biblical. <laughs> just, just saying. It's quite biblical. <laughs> Go ahead, Pastor. I'm I'm, I'm trying to, to, to get a distinction between Democrats and Republicans. And based upon what you just said, it sounds to me like, from your perspective, Democrats embrace a more Jesus concern about the needs of the marginalized as opposed to Republicans. I'm not. I am not putting words in his mouth. I'm simply basing it on what he said. So... You know, I've had this conversation with uh, a gentleman that I know. I, I, I mean, I, I would consider him a friend, but mm-hmm. there have been political debates. Actually, several people, uh, not necessarily about my race, but just about about that conversation. You mm-hmm. know, on social media, there's all these sorts of memes and stuff. Um, and I think recently one of these friends of mine just blasted Democrats to hell. Um, and so, again, I think it's from a national perspective and national platforms. And so when we bring in issues, you know, like abortion, um, like uh, uh, capital punishment, um, 
spending, you know, government spending and things like that, that's where we tend to delineate. And that's not to suggest that people at a local level as an individual don't, you know, align with those principles or whatnot. Um, but I think at the end of the day, from a local standpoint, like, you know, we, we have to be concerned about our children, our city. Mm-hmm. Um, we have we have kids dying on the street. We got yeah. kids missing. We got kids that are not being properly educated. Um, we have, res- you know, under-resourced communities uh, throughout this parish. Um, you know, again, if we look, prime example, again, going back to District 1, we had three, maybe four neighborhoods um, the day that the storm was coming mm-hmm. where drains were plugged in their neighborhoods. And so I, I definitely believe, I, I, do, I believe in, um, you know, climate change. Mm-hmm. But like this was a matter of drains being plugged in their neighborhoods. And mm-hmm. so if we could get the, the local government out to unplug the drains, mm-hmm. Then the neighborhoods wouldn't have flooded. So help, help so, me with so, that. So the thing is, so, so my point is that, so I, on the one hand, I'm sitting in a majority black neighborhood, right. like, enraged. Right. Um, but then I saw that there, that was going on in, you know, a little bit more well-to-do neighborhood as well. And so at the end of the day, the government's not working for any of us. So is that a is that a Zachary City Council issue, or is that an East Baton Rouge Parish Metro Council? So issue? in the instance that I dealt with, it's yes. both. Okay. Because at the end of the day, so the, the particular street that I was on was in the Zachary City limits. Okay. And the young lady, the neighbor, could not get, like, she just kept calling the, she kept calling the government, and mm-hmm. they wouldn't come. And they were going to call, and they were going to call. She called city government, parish government? City. City government. They wouldn't come. So okay. then I said, okay, well, we go, well, somebody suggested that I call the parish. And after going through several loops, uh, the young man on the other line said, well, sir, that's within Zachary City limits. We're mm-hmm. going to come out there. And I said, okay, but at the end of the day, this is still part of the parish. Um, and he said, I get that, but we're not going to come out there. That's in Zachary City limits. But I can go to the unincorporated areas. And again, I've, I've talked to folks who live next to canals that have flooded mm-hmm. during these hurricanes. And so um, that that is why. So th- those are examples as to why, like the whole party thing is just disturbing to me, because at the end of the day, um, when a storm comes, it doesn't ask what's your party affiliation. Sure. When a virus comes, as it has, it's, it's not ask any of those 200,000 people that died what their party affiliation is. Um, and so I think we spend entirely too much time um, focus on what our labels are rather than serving the people's needs. Is there a tension that exists? You like that one? <laughs> I'm just You don't have to swing at every pitch. I'll let that one go by. Uh, is, is there a tension? I, I live in the city of Baton Rouge. Yes, sir. So, so I... I I don't have the issue that you have. You live within the metro area of District 1, but you also live within the city. Yes, sir. Exactly. Is there a tension that exists between uh, the city council of Zachary and the metro council or the way government is uh, administered on a city basis versus a parish basis? Yeah. Um... I don't know how intense it is, but again, and this is based on like literal conversations I've had with right. leaders. Um, and again, I think the two biggest issues that I've gotten feedback on, um, and these are on, based on conversations that I've had, are around, again, um, drainage, uh, infrastructure maintenance type issues, as well as, um, I think for the city of Zachary, the concern that has bubbled up is around uh, planning and zoning. And so... You know, the, the city of Zachary's boundaries are set. Um, to my understanding from conversations I've had, there's no desire to, like, annex unincorporated parts of Zachary. Okay. And so there are communities or neighborhoods that are, you know, Zachary addresses, but are not within the city limits. And so I think part of the challenge becomes if it goes before the Planning and Zoning Commission for EBR, the city actually has no, honestly, has no say in it. 
And so they may, while we have, may have a, a master plan or whatnot, and I'm, I'm sure if you've seen this, like there's deviations that happen all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's like a lot of concerns around planning and zoning, um, both from a fa facade standpoint, but then also being able to provide services. And so for, again, from my understanding, there's some neighborhoods that are like basically in the Zachary school district, but are outside the city limits of Zachary, mm -hmm. who aren't receiving public services like water, mm -hmm. police, fire. All right. And so um, I do think that that like that is a huge opportunity to have those level of conversations, even though it's a city that's been incorporated, you know, for umpteen years. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like that's a conversation that needs to happen. I think the other thing that's come up um, and uh, again, people probably saw this in the media was around brick, mm -hmm. you know, and so I think there are two there are two brick facility brick parks um, within the Zachary area. But again, those two that I'm referring to, I think. I know one for certain is outside of the city limits, city limits. And so concern about how much maintenance or whatnot um, is being received. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. That conversation there, um, I think, is, again, a matter of people coming to the table, because I think there's perspectives on both sides that people may not be seeing clearly about. So I think those are probably the two biggest issues that I'm aware of is around maintenance mm -hmm. and then maintenance of facilities and roads. Um, parks and then um as i mentioned planning and zoning the metro council has no official uh administrative latitude with regard to public education mm -hmm. uh, but i know that you were part of a charter school program an integral part of that program so i know that you have a love for education uh, from the bully pulpit of the metro council uh, what would be your position with regard to uh, the educational needs that exist within East Baton Rouge Parish? So I, I, I think that we have to, and a lot of people might not agree with my perspective on this, but I think we have to acknowledge um, that from an aptitude standpoint, our children are not finishing high school at a level that they need to be to be able to compete. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not obviously that's not all because, you know, kids are leaving there and getting jobs. Right. Um, but I think we need to have a much larger percentage of our kids uh, finishing high school at a, a level and an aptitude to where they they can make a choice of whether or not they want to go to college or go into the workforce or a trade. Um, and so I think as a metro council, like we have an opportunity uh, to be able to do that. One of, one of the things, you know, so the city does have responsibility over Head Start centers. Okay. So that, that is a pipeline in the education system. But I also think that, you know, from a youth development standpoint, um, you know, the city does provide funding and grants, uh, either directly or indirectly, for a number of youth programs over the years. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be in collaboration with um, our educational partners at the district level or private schools or public charter schools or what have you. Um, because at the end of the day, like we're all in this, like we can't just like subjugate that responsibility to education policymakers when there's decisions that we make as a, as, as a Metro Council that will impact schools. Um, you have safety concerns, there's public safety issues mm -hmm. that, that, that we make decisions on that impact our schools. And so I do think, and if you, you look at some other cities, and I'm, I'm not suggesting like we do some, we were talking earlier about the Constitution, I'm not saying that we do some constitutional amendment, you know, to give the city parish more authority over schools. Mm -hmm. But what I am suggesting is that if you look at other cities, um, it, it probably is like D.C. as an example, it's, it's probably much more um, integrated New York, you know, places like that. And there, there are several other examples. Uh, I do think as a metro council, like we have to take an active role and active involvement in ensuring that our children receive the type of education uh, that they deserve. So I won't be a council member that uses that excuse. Well, that's not our responsibility. And, 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 and I respect that and, and, and appreciate that perspective. Uh, in that Apex was a charter school, was it a public charter or a private charter? It's public. It was a public charter. Do you have an opinion about charters versus uh, public schools? Yes. <laughs> my opinion Do you is, care to share it? I will share it. <laughs> okay. So my opinion is that I think that and I'm very big on this. Um, I think that all of our schools 
all schools, anybody that's given government money to educate children should be held accountable. Now, we all may disagree on how that is to be, but like there has to be a level of accountability for all schools. Um, I've, I've never been one that felt like a charter school, it was charter schools versus a traditional public school. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the way that the law is established in Louisiana, it gives charter schools uh, flexibility in a number of different areas, not accountability, which people seem to think, but charter schools do have some level of flexibility um, in the way that they achieve their goals of educating our children. Um, and I, I think that, you know, public schools should have that flexibility as mm -hmm. well. Um, I know that EBR has tried that a couple of times with some, you know, experiments with, within their uh, schools that they run by creating these different zones. Um, and so at the end of the day, um, my challenge, uh, to us as a community um, is to push all of our schools to make sure, and I, I said this early and I, I stand by this, my challenge is to push all of us, not just as educators, but our community at large, to ensure that we give every single child in this community the type of education where they're positioned and empowered to make decisions for themselves mm -hmm. when they finish. Mm -hmm. um, my frustration is that for too long you know, we funnel kids into certain categories based on whatever test that they took in the second or third grade right. and decided what track they were going to take. Um, I don't like I, I acknowledge and understand that everybody may not choose to go to college, but the greatest level of freedom is for you to have, be able to make that decision yourself mm -hmm. and not for that to be placed upon you back in the third or fourth grade. And now you're going down a path and then you realize when you get to 11th grade you can't go to college even though you desire to. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just think that that's where, you know, our focus needs to lie. I don't think it's, a, I really don't think it's an even or, either or. Um, I think that, you know, again, everybody that receives public funding, government funding, should have some, some level of accountability. And it should be an even playing field. Um, but I also think that, like, our charge needs to be empowering our children so that they can make life decisions when they come of age. And too many of our children are having decisions made for them. Let's go back to the uh, Louisiana State Constitution, uh, because I, I know you're running for Metro Council, but one of the upcoming amendments mm -hmm. deals with uh, the industrial tax exemption program, uh, Amendment 5, and it allows for uh, corporations to negotiate directly with uh, entities within uh, city and parish government in order to skirt paying property taxes. We'll pay you X amount of dollars in lieu of paying what we actually owe in property taxes. Do you think I have a problem with that? Yeah, I do. Um, uh, the Metro Council is one is one of those entities. Yes. So assuming that you are successful in your campaign, it will become part of your decision as to whether or not corporations uh, uh, pay their fair share in, in property taxes. Do you have an opinion on Amendment 5? Yeah, so I think, and if I'm not mistaken, I think the re part of the reason this became a big issue is because the state was like bypassing local municipalities. Um, and so I think from that regards, the, you know, because we've been asked this question in several forums, so I think that the local municipalities should have the authority to decide whether or not uh, they forgive taxes or obligations uh, from anybody that's coming to do business in their community. But what I've, what I've gone a step further, and I don't know that I've ever, ever heard this mentioned, I was in a leadership program some years ago and uh, we learned about this thing called community benefit agreements. And so I think the bigger conversation, you, you know, so I, I think to answer your question, I believe that as a Metro Council, like we should have the authority to have those negotiations. But I think what, hap what should happen is a part of that process is that we should have tools in place such as community benef benefit agreements that, you know, in addition to taxes, and if a, a corporation is saying that they will do something in lieu of, like we need to have folks from the community at the table um, and we need to lay out literally how this is going to benefit our community. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, if we are, you know, not receiving funding for whatever reason, but then we don't see a return on that, that investment in the community in the way of jobs and a way of additional training. Um, and again, 
because this is typically what, what's taken place in Louisiana over the years, um, additional greenhouse gases or reduction in, in environmental uh, issues within our community, um, then again, we just continue to fail. And so I do think that, you know, while we should have the authority to negotiate, I do think that we need to take it a step further and making sure that we're bringing folks from the community to to the table to participate in this conversation um, so that we understand and we guarantee that in the end, the people within the community actually benefit from this, if that makes sense. I, I want to be clear on, 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 on what you're saying. You're saying that the Metro Council, the school board, and the sheriff's office, which are the three entities in East Baton Rouge Parish government uh, that uh, get to vote up or down mm -hmm. on ITEP proposals, uh, should have the ability to do that. On that, we agree. Yes, sir. But I, I don't agree with Amendment 5. I don't okay. agree that Tell me why. Uh, X company should be able to come to the Metro Council and say, in lieu of the 22 million, now I'm just pulling numbers yeah, out of my head, yeah. in, in lieu of the $20 million that we owe in property taxes, we'll pay you $4 million. And the Metro Council say, that's okay. Oh, no, I, don't. Uh, I, I, I don't think that X company should be able to come and say, we have no guarantee of yeah. jobs. We have no, but we're going to pay this amount of money and you all should be happy that we're giving you this amount of, uh, of money. And so, that's essentially what Amendment 5 yeah. does. It says that you can skirt paying what you actually owe in taxes. I wish they would allow individuals the right to skirt. I, I, I don't want to pay uh, what, what, what I owe, but I'll give you 10 bucks. Is, is, is that okay? You, you, you'll be okay with, with, with me giving you 10 bucks to, 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 instead of paying what I owe in taxes? I just think it's fundamentally unfair. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And so that's, that's where I say like the community benefit agreement or some tool similar to that. Because at the end of the day, like it has to be equitable. And so, you know, in business, if we're making an investment, then there's a return mm -hmm. that we're expecting. Mm -hmm. And so if the, it, to, to take your example, the 20 plus million, um, that we're going to forego. Okay, so that four plus some jobs or, you know, a list of other things. But that the amendment to... doesn't require yeah. jobs. That's what do, do, Doesn't require anything like that at all. It's, it just says, we'll, we'll pay you some cash in lieu of, uh, of doing all the other things. And it is a concern. You, you said you don't like talking about conservative uh, liberal, but it's a conservative state legislature that is pushing this because they got mad because a Democratic governor said, I'm going to restore the rights of individual communities and governments to 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 decide for themselves whether or not these corporations, which reside in our community and consume an awesome amount of our service. We ain't got no water because corporations are taking our fresh water. I don't know if y'all been paying attention to that. The aqueducts are, are becoming filled with salt water and fresh water is being depleted in East Baton Rouge Parish. We don't get our water from the river, even though we sit on the river. We get our water from underground aqueducts. And that water is being depleted by corporations, but they don't want to pay taxes. And so how many times have you heard what you explained with that amendment? How many times have you heard that explained? Because here, here's another concern that I have that I, I was hoping, I'm hoping that you were going to get into. And so we have these amendments that are mm -hmm. laid out in one or two sentences. Mm -hmm. And you've probably, that's probably the most in-depth explanation that I've heard of it yet. Um, and so part of what I really want to see is us as a people get more engaged in this process so that, you know, again, 28 years down the road, my grandkids are looking at me and talking about Papa. What What did you just do? Yeah. So how do how do we get our people more engaged and understand? If if we're talking about Amendment Five, when the people were engaged uh -huh. and went down to the state legislature, the amendment never got out of committee. The conservative legislature, how y'all doing? The conservative <laughs> legislature waited until a pandemic when no one could come to 
the subcommittee meetings and they passed the amendment with an empty room. Yes, sir. And, and, and so I understand what you're saying about engagement, but I'm, I'm pointing out the difference between the fact that we were engaged mm -hmm. when we could be engaged on this issue. There are issues that we're not engaged on that we should be, but we were engaged on this issue. Well, no, I, so I'm, what I'm saying is I'm not saying that, how, how do I put this? So like your, your point driving at what I'm saying is so we, we have to understand that it's a long game. Yes. And so some folks found the opportunity to get what they wanted when people weren't looking. And we have to be aware of that is what is my point. So how, how do we how, how do we strengthen that? Well, thank God I'm not running for, for public office. But 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 I, I just know that assuming that you will be sitting on the council, this is going to come up. Yeah. And so that and that. So and so I think, you know, again, so there are a number of instances like that where What's the word that we typically use? Systemic. Mm -hmm. So that's a number of this systemic <clears throat> word. Um, where as leaders, when we see things in policy or the rules that are in place, like we have to be prepared to be synergistic and strategic mm -hmm. uh, to ensure that, you know, the best interest of people is constantly being met. And so, God forbid this passes, but let's say it does. Like, again, as a council member, it's my job to be aware of that mm -hmm. and at the council level put policies, ordinances in place to work within those rules until somebody, you know, comes up and declares it unconstitutional. Why is there no movie theater in Zachary? Wow, it's just becoming with a Dutch. Well <laughs> I have looked at all of the development that has taken place within Zachary over the past fifteen, twenty years. Yes, sir. And I have formed in my mind the opinion that once Zachary gets a movie theater, y'all gonna say, "Forget that fruit. <laughs> we stay it up here." Uh, so here, it, it, it's the only thing. You you have shopping centers, you have restaurants, you have what you all call the number one uh, public school system in the state of Louisiana, uh, but there's no movie theater. Yes, sir. So I don't actually, I don't honestly don't know the answer to that question. Um, it, it's my way of, of, of humorously getting into the need for economic yes, expansion sir. within. And so the, th the thing is that, again, I will, like, I have that same question, you know, about North Baton Rouge in general. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, that, that's another example where I think leaders in, in Zachary, when they hear North Baton Rouge, like they want folks in Baton Rouge to understand that North Baton Rouge doesn't stop at Harding Boulevard mm -hmm. uh, or Groom Road or, mm -hmm. or what have you. Um, and so I, d I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I know that, you know, if we talk about like Hollow Place when it first came under wraps, you know, from an economic development standpoint, like that's a valid question. Like mm -hmm. we got people from East Feliciana, West Feliciana, Point Capee, Zachary Baker driving Rap Place, Hollow Place <clears throat> to go to South Baton Rouge to go right. to the movies. Um, and that's probably like, nearly half the population in the metro region that's driving right past North Baton Rouge. Right. Um, and so I think part of it needs to be, again, collaboration, and we can't, like, do things in pockets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just like all the other council districts, about 30-plus thousand voters um, in Metro Council District 1. Mm -hmm. But again, like, we're drawing from that. People come from West Feliciana, East Feliciana to Eaton, Zachary. Um, and so I think it has to be, again, more of a regional approach. Um, as leaders in the Zachary community, we have to ensure that we're being involved in collaboration with folks in Baton Rouge mm -hmm. um, to attract those opportunities. Um, I mean, you give the, the movie theater example. Um, you know, we had a Captain D's that closed mm -hmm. like right before the pandemic. So that building is sitting there vacant. Um, so there's more opportunities for restaurants. Mm -hmm. But then if you look at the rural portions that are very majestic and beautiful, um, I think there's other opportunities as far as seniors uh, and maybe resorts and, you know, outdoor type activities mm -hmm. uh, that would, again, attract people, attract business and attract residents to the northern part of the parish. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just I, I think, you know, not not passing any judgment, um, but just what I've seen, mm -hmm. you know, working throughout the community. Um, I just think it's still a stronger cry for much more collaboration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The one thing I'll give St. George uh, uh, or, or the proposed community of St. George is that uh, they seem to be well along the way of economic e e advancement 
as opposed to Zachary, unfortunately, Baker now, yes, sir. because a lot has left the Baker area. Uh, so I, I, I was just curious, are there plans uh, in the works for greater economic expansion within that Zachary Cheneyville area? Yeah, so again, just based on conversations I've had with folks, um, it's, and I used to live in Central, and it was kind of the same thing in Central, like people just like this quiet, sleepy town feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if I compare this to other places that I live, mm-hmm. like that's not how you attract, you know, this generation that we're trying to attract. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, you know, so again, I don't, I think there's a particular mindset of what, or a vision of what folks want Zachary to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think, you know, over time, as there's a tr- change in leadership, uh, then we'll probably begin to see some some changes. What's the crime problem like in the Zachary or in District 1? I shouldn't limit it to Zachary, in District 1. So um, I don't actually have like specific statistics. I, I will say, um, and you've probably seen some of this stuff on the news, like the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, in Zachary, there, there were a number of shootings. Um, and then I think about two, three weeks ago, there was, I wouldn't call it a mass shooting, but like six people got shot mm-hmm. in Baker and, with, and with, within the district. And so, um, again, I don't, there's no different from the rest of the, the community. Um, you know, I think the two or three recent shootings in Zachary itself were all domestic related, which again, illustrates that like we're having a lot of the same problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a um, there was a shooting before the pandemic happened, like at or near the school, some kid or something that shot at the school. Um, there are you know multiple instances of uh, you know car break-ins and things like that 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 go on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean overall, like it's it's relatively safe. But you know you you know crime happens everywhere in this parish, um, so it's not like Zachary's not necessarily Metro District One is not isolated. Um, from the ills that the rest of the parish is, is facing. And what, what I also, and so before I say this, so I think that every, like all these instances that I've talked about are people that live in our community, mm-hmm. in, in Metro Council District 1. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, we like we all, and I, I say this frequently, like we also have to be very careful of turning our nose down on like what's going on in Baton Rouge mm-hmm. because... I drive in and out of Zachary all the time, and I don't see any security gates, any walls, like preventing people from getting in. So, mm-hmm. like this is our entire community. Um, there's no borders, and so, like everybody has to be engaged in addressing this problem. Um, not sure if you will get here, but you know, which I, again, I, I've lived in Zachary for four years, but like campaigning has shown, um, again, poverty, um, and housing um quality housing um is is a is a huge challenge in district one just Mm -hmm. like it is in other parts of this community Mm -hmm. um and then lastly um do what this pandemic has shown like you know i've seen like huge food lines uh both for seniors um because there's a council and aging center in zachary so i've seen huge food lines there but as well as like you know different organizations giving the bulk boxes away Mm -hmm. um the the um, the community center near my house every Tuesday morning there's lines mm-hmm. and so again uh, this pandemic is hurting us all you know crime is hurting us all um, you know everybody throughout the parish is being adversely impacted by the downturn in the economy and so that you know from my vantage point um, I just think we've had too much division you know for too many years mm-hmm. in the city and at some point we have to realize. Um, that again, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, like we we all have a lot of the same issues going on in our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Some might not be as well publicized, but we got to all we all had the same issues going on in our neighborhood. You are the principal owner of EFID Business Solutions. Yes, sir. Which makes you an entrepreneur. You started your own business. After working for others, you decided that you were going to strike out on your own. I applaud that. I, I think that more African Americans should be entrepreneurs. What have been your challenges of entrepreneurship? Hmm, that is an interesting question. Um, I think the biggest 
and I'm going to, so when I talk through this experience, I'm going to talk through, you know, my actual for-profit businesses, starting a school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually when I lived in Alexandria, I helped just to, to found a church. Um, and I think, you know, some of the common threads there or, you know, trying to identify, build, build a clientele, um, which I like it just, you know, it's just, it's all about your messaging. But I think the, the biggest challenges that I've seen, um, is probably in um, kind of the red tape, um, working with our, our local governments and getting things set up. And so that whether it be permitting and things that are required for your buildings, um, you know, getting up ta- getting tax systems set up and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you if you start a business and you get your tax certificate, um, and I had to teach my daughter that you get your tax certificate, and then you don't sell anything and you're still required you're still required to turn in a tax report each Mm -hmm. month or each quarter and you don't sell anything you don't turn any tax report in you get these like huge ridiculous fines um and so i think which i've I've said before i think that as a city government um like we have some room to grow in helping entrepreneurs and businesses to understand their relationship with the, with the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's at the state and the local level. Um, so I think there's some work that we can do there. Um, I think also the, um, the fair share program that, you know, four council ladies back in 2008 tried to push. And then I served on, uh, as a member of the task force. Um, I think the inclusiveness, uh, from our parish government again, is where we have some room to grow. You know, so one of the things that that I found like extremely disturbing is when the task force came first came about, or when the the ordinance was first introduced, and then we had the task force. Um, the administration at that point provided this report of all these minority contractors, and so the perception of what a black-owned business in Baton Rouge is like has evolved and has evolved quickly. So the the, the folks that were identified on the list of black contractors for the city of Baton Rouge were the crossing guards. And that was the argument that we're doing a lot of businesses with black business owners. But these were crossing guards who were 1099s. All right, and so I think the openness and inclusiveness, which, you know, we've made some progress, but we are nowhere near what we need to be in 2020, again, compared to other cities. And so those are probably the biggest challenges that I've had is mostly with relationship um, with our policymakers and our government. The other problem that that I would like to lift up uh, has to do with how you identify a minority. Yeah. Uh, uh, you about to start something? Now. You about to start? White something. women are not minorities uh, because usually they are propped up by white men who want to take advantage of uh, government programs that are supposed to be designed for women and minorities emphasis on women and not necessarily on minorities. Uh, Have you seen that happen? I've seen it happen. Yeah, I've seen it happen. Um, And that was a huge contention point when the fair share program was being introduced by the four council ladies and we had the task force like that was a a huge piece of the debate um like i've been in these conversations for years even outside of the fair share program um with different entities and 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 work that i've been involved in um and it's a it's a common thing it's a common thing and i i think the i would think that white women would fight against it actually because if you fought and you scrapped to start your own business and then you have a group of folks that continue to do this and perpetrate this myth, like you would be an advocate of, against that type of practice. And mm-hmm. so, um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely something I've seen happen a number of times in a number of instances, both here in Baton Rouge and around the country. I just thought I'd throw, throw that out. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I don't want to run that far down that way, but I, I wanted to get back to the whole idea of, of entrepreneurship yes, sir. As, as an African-American. You are deeply involved in your church, Way of Holiness Ministries. Uh, you're a deacon in your church. You're a Christian educator. What role do you see the church playing in fostering entrepreneurship among African-Americans as we move forward uh, in the 21st century? 
So, um, actually, if, if I could applaud my church in that, um, I think, you know, as an example, you know, there were a few years ago, and I don't know if it's still in place, but the, the, the Louisiana Department of Economic Development in partnership with the city of Baton Rouge used to have uh, technical assistance programs they provided to small businesses at the WIA office on Plank Road. All right. And so, again, I don't know if that's still in place, but definitely it's something that we need. And so what we used to do is like I would teach entrepreneurial classes mm-hmm. through that program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the church, uh, you know, we had a lot of different people within the church that had, you know, home based businesses or whatever. So they would encourage them to, you know, to participate. But we also would do stuff, do similar things at our church. And so I think as a church body, again, you have, you know, you have caterers who don't you know don't have all their paperwork in place right but, like they're cooking for the church all the time right um you know seamstress um your your it guy over here um you have all these skills basically and then we have skill all sorts of skills like production putting on productions and concerts and things like that and so i think we should encourage our members one as a church body we should be encourage our members um to pursue their crafts mm-hmm. um obviously we bless the church and bless our community so we should one be tr- pursuing uh encouraging our members to pursue their craft but also um you know, again, we have college professors in our churches. We have business, you know, existing business owners in our churches. We should be teaching entrepreneurship within our churches. Um, and so whether it be standalone, whether it be like sometimes we used to do these types of things. Mm-hmm. We might take sun, one Sunday a month during Sunday school, um, put the Sunday school curriculum aside and talk about issues like business or social justice mm-hmm. um, or politics or what have you. And mm-hmm. so um, we have a, a, a platform. And I think even now, um, especially since like we've moved to a lot of this virtual activity, um, a lot of our people like you don't have anything to do. And so um, as a church body, I think it'd be a great tool to be able to use like our social media platforms, our virtual platforms mm-hmm. to put on virtual workshops and seminars um, during this time where people just don't have things to do. Um, and so that's that's the role that I see the church playing. I also feel like, um, and I'm sure you've seen this before, you know, oftentimes there are clergy at the table in some of these conversations like ITEP or whatnot. Um, and so I would like to see more of our clergy um, at the table because mm-hmm. there's other folks that are at the table. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to see more of our folks at the table, again, when it comes to policy decisions about business, entrepreneurship, or many of the other issues that we've been talking about here today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let that pitch go too. <laughs> um, we're wrapping up. Uh, normally, I ask questions at the end about uh, your children and whether or not you want them to live in this city. Uh, I know it's their decision, but as a parent, you you have an opinion about that. Uh, I think I would end today by simply giving you the opportunity to say whatever it is you wanted to say uh, with regard to your candidacy for Metro Council District 1. Well, actually, I will I will end with, with what you just alluded to. Um, I have actually, like, purposely <laughs> tried to keep my children, like, out of this. Don't mention the names. I mean, people know who my kids are, but I've, I've tried to keep them out of this. But at the end of the day, what I, what I will say um, is that and I'm homie. If I get a little misty eye, mm-hmm. I've watched, you know, with the recent pandemic and uh, the the recent uprising around, you know, killing the black people. I've watched my children evolve, get engaged in this. You know, I've always been involved in things. I've tried to pull them into things and just keep them specifically in mind. Uh, but understand that they're children, and so they, you know, they've gone into adulthood, preteens, teenagers, um, and so their eyes are open. They see the world that we live in. Um, they see that we live in an unjust world. And, you know, so one actually started a nonprofit um, to be able to try to Excellent. pull back to kids, like in in a lot of the underserved communities that are struggling mm-hmm. and that we all often talk about. But I think she also realized that there are kids in her own community um, that she's grown up in. And, you know, she has a level of privilege. But she also understands that the kids that have grown up in our own community that don't have or are not as fortunate as she has been. And so uh, I think at the end of the day, I want Baton Rouge to type, be the type of city that other folks can look to as a model, 
um, for how we come together, how we work together, how we invoke change, and how we evolve. Because at the end of the day, like the city is not where I think it should be, um, and it's not representative of its people. And so I do think that we have to have a great evol evolution uh, within our city. And so um, whether my children decide to live here or not, you know, we've tried, me and their mom have tried to equip them uh, with the skills and knowledge that they need to, again, be able to control their own destiny, because mm -hmm. I never want anybody else to control my kids' destiny. Mm -hmm. And so if they decide that this is a place they want to be, it's because of their own choices. Um, but I, I think I want Baton Rouge to be the type of city to equip all of our all of our children to be able to make decisions and choices for their own lives. Um, and if you look at too often, if, if we're honest with ourselves, if we look at, you know, many of the, the, the folks that are struggling and many of the challenges that they have, at the end of the day, we got too many people controlling what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, people live off that. They thrive off that. Um, and so I, I think that I, I may be a, a bit of a troublemaker um, because I need, I think people need to be loosed and given the power to make their own decisions, and that's the type of city that I want to live in. Thank you for taking the time to share with us. Uh, Eric Lewis, Metro Council District 1 candidate. Yes, sir. Uh, again, we appreciate you coming by and sharing with us. Thank you all for viewing. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again next time.